0: This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his
1: guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting in my home with a great guest. He is a writer for screen, print, and more, Paul Feldman. Hello. How you doing, Paul?
2: I'm excellent. How thank are
1: you? you. <laughs> Good. Thank you for coming and doing the podcast. Well, thank you.
2: Thank you for inviting me on.
1: Uh, I always struggle uh, with my guest nouns. Now, I could just, like, email and ask people, exactly how do you want me to describe you at the top of the podcast? But I've been having fun asking people, like, I know you as a writer, and I know some of the projects you've been working on, so that's where I came up with a screen and print. But how do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself when you get up in the morning of, like, I am Paul Feldman, writer?
2: Uh, yes. And I I wish I had like that much emphasis and confidence in it when it, uh, when it, uh, cause it usually ends maybe in more of like an uptick and like writer. But, uh, no, yes, I am a writer. Okay.
1: Uh, And, uh, do you have any specific projects that you're working on right now that you are wanting to talk about or want people to, when you tell people you're a writer, like, and go look at this. And go, which I okay.
2: I um, So I'll be a published author in, in November, which nice. I'm stoked on. I was the co-writer on a self-help book, which is now in pre-sale if you'd like to go order it. <laughs> uh, please do, because uh, the more we sell, you know, the more money I will eventually get. Uh, it's called Bad Advice. Uh, it's by Dr. V, a.k.a. Dr. Venus Nicolino, but I'm the co-author on it. Uh, and, uh, or co-writers, the technical credit. So there's that. I just finished that. That was like a two year huge project, which just wrapped and kind of, uh, dazed and wondering what to do now. But, uh, and then I've, I've also got, uh, I have a feature in development called Metal Knights, uh, which is the heavy metal blues brothers. And then I have, uh, a, the essentially the heavy metal tales from the crypt, which we've called Into the Catacombs, which my writing partner Howie and I have teamed up with a whole bunch of other great people on. Uh, and we're that's ticking along. Nice. Yeah. So and various other lines in the waters like everybody else. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool.
1: So almost all of your work that I know about is totally in line with your obsession.
2: With the exception of the self-help book, yes.
1: <laughs> is the self-help book, it's called Bad Advice. Is it actually like comedy bad advice, or is it? Is that just a grab grabby title for halfway decent vice, advice? Um,
2: I would like to think it's a grabby title for some, what actually ends up being good advice. Good advice, okay. Uh, it was actually, it was, it was quite an interesting experience. I learned a lot writing it. It was, um, it's a takedown of a lot of like the received wisdom of self-help culture. So all those dumb sayings, like you can't love anyone until you love yourself or, you know, nobody can make you feel bad without your permission, which sound great, but are all actually bullshit and also fly in the face of the reality of our biology and neurology and psychology and all that kind of stuff. Um, So it's definitely like, uh, and I read a lot of scientific research uh, working on it and um, uh, uh, yeah. So fascinating. and, And for me, at least writing that, that book and, or co-writing it. And, um, I guess it lines up with my obsession a little bit, just in that it's iconoclastic and, and kind of disrespectful to the powers that be. <laughs> but, uh, f- yeah. It, You're
1: taking it, down the man who is sure. uh, basically what? Uh, Tim Robbins. Is that the, the guy's name? Uh, Tony.
2: Tony, yeah, Tim Robbins, what was that, still, still, I've, I never read any of his books, everybody yes. was reading them, like, in 2000, 2001, st- yeah. with skinny legs and all, I didn't read any of them,
1: Yeah, did you? Oh, yeah. Were they good? Uh, you know, I thought they were good uh, when I was a kid, but that's probably because they were uh, swearing and, you know, anti-authority, and it's like, all right, must well, be good. I'm in, that's, that's You're in. two boxes uh, Okay, for me. So, a bad advice is actually good advice, yes. uh, contracting the previous bad advice that has been in the world. Yes. It's nice. Nice. There Everybody go. should go by that. Let's talk about your obsession. Yes, please. Which, uh, this, this makes so much sense uh, for you. You sent me a nice paragraph of what it is, because <laughs> you're you're a, a man of, like, an explosion of ideas. Oh, So thank you. I boiled down what you told me for the title of this episode, for the ease of discussing it. I'm going to describe it as epic science fantasy.
2: That's it. Perfect.
1: This is uh, kind of my breakdown of what you sent me in your email, that it's the sort of alchemy of late 70s, early 80s, D&D, Heavy Metal, uh, the movie Flash Gordon is kind of a, a catalyst that brought it all together. Mm-hmm. Underground animation, airbrushed wizards on vans, satanic panic, and more.
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I mean, every, I think everybody relates to that instantly. Yeah, uh, I,
1: you know, I, there's something about this whole topic that I love so much. I think about it uh, a lot whenever I encounter my own, like, memories or experiences mm-hmm. of Heavy Metal in that kind of era of fantasy, and I'm so glad that you included it in this list Airbrushed wizards on vans. There's something about that, that image. Just, uh, it captures what is like the majesty and to me, what is like funny and absurd Absolutely. about this whole zeitgeist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah,
2: thousand percent. So, how or, or
1: why, uh, tell, well, tell me a little bit about what you think it is. I mean, that, that's, that was kind of the, the boilerplate. So people, uh, can understand basically what we're talking about. But to you, what is, what is this?
2: To me, it's like, um, well, I mentioned this right before we started recording, but it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's very similar to kind of like the Ultra, at least my perception of it is it's, I feel like I'm, it's similar to the Ultra Lounge thing that happened in the late 90s when as far as I know, like it kind of started with like Rhino records released a few compilation albums that were all like quote unquote lounge music. So Frank Sinatra and big band stuff, but then also kind of like weird, like uh, things that sounded like incidental music from Ren and Stimpy, that yeah, kind of Esquivel, thing. Esquivel. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Ex- yeah, es- yeah. That guy was everywhere in, in your independent <laughs> record store in the nineties. Uh, so, and like that and skinny ties and martinis and leopard print and all that. So like, and like we were saying, like that was never a movement. There was never like, you know, Those dudes were not, like, facing off with beatniks and rumbling or anything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's, like, stuff that existed at the same time but maybe didn't actually interact as much as we perceive them to to have looking back on the past. But with
2: hindsight, it all fits together perfectly into this nice kind of, like, mythical moment that we wish existed. And for me, I feel like some of it's, like, I was, you know, I'm 41 now, so, like... Late, like early 80s, I was, you know, six, seven or whatever. And I have very clear memories of, you know, being at a uh, um, the kind of a carnival or, yeah, like creepy carnival, like, you know, rickety rides set up in the strip mall parking lot for the weekend or the week. And, you know, uh, they've got, I believe it's called the... Not the, what's the mountain range that Mount Everest is in? I'm not good at mountains. The Himalayan. Yeah. All right. So like when it goes, like it's a throw up ride that goes backwards, you know? Okay. And I have very clear memories of being on that. And those rides are often airbrushed with dragons and wizards. And they're (laughs) not a van, but still, they kind of fold up into a van when they go on the road. Uh, And like heavy metal being blasted while, and you know, it was kind of like this seminal moment for me. Um, I have a very clear memory of that. a very clear memory of not having heard Iron Maiden, but seeing a bunch of huge, who were at the time, huge teenagers in Iron Maiden shirts. And, you know, anyone, if you've seen an Iron Maiden shirt, which I assume most of us yes. have, uh, there's there's a narrative suggested by their artwork, even if, you know, it really doesn't go beyond just, you know, well, it's the troopers. So we're going to put Eddie, Eddie is the Iron Maiden zombie you always see on their shirts. We're going to put Eddie in, you know, uh, a British military uniform for the trooper. And it's like, you know, there, it's nothing beyond that image, but you're looking at it and it's like, what happened before that? What led up to this moment, you know, and, um, and it's all kind of living in, and that artwork is very similar to like the, the great Jeff Easley covers when they did, it was still first edition d d but like, I guess it was like a second run of the books or whatever. So yeah. the player's manual, the DM guide, all that kind of stuff, player's handbook, don't <laughs> at me. Um, so, uh.
1: Yeah, and And where where were you growing up when you're going to this rickety carnival so I can fully picture this?
2: Boca Raton, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Um which uh was at the time it was weird growing up in a place where you're I was pretty much older than every single building that was there cuz it was all very <laughs> recently developed. Okay. <clears throat> yeah.
1: So the in, the environment you grew up in then looked kind of uh new and, and prefabricated so it didn't match like Uh, this world of imagination that you were seeing in the rickety carnival, on the older forbidden t-shirts of the older kids. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so it was a contrast to where you were growing up. Absolutely. Okay, so inviting you into a different world.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and then as I got older, um, like any good American teenager, I was into heavy metal. I eventually got into the occult and stuff, and uh, I did, um, there was like a, a jogging trail in my subdivision, where there was the classic tree. out, It was a jogging trail that kind of went out in the middle of nowhere. And there was a party. It was just a place where teenagers would go to drink beer and and smoke weed, as far as I know. (laughs) But there was a tree that had like a pentagram spray painted on it, and there were like candles all around it and shit. So, you know, and I think every uh, suburban town, especially back then, I think had a spot like that, where, you know, people went to, you know, do black magic or whatever. And I did do some black magic Well, not play. It was like, it was neutral. I think it was like middle of the road. Kind of did like.
1: some gray magic.
2: Gray magic. Yeah. It was like Wiccan. Okay. Here's what it was. It was like a, I, there was a girl that I wanted to like me and it was some kind of spell where you'd like took an iron nail and you put it through two cloves of garlic or two bulbs of garlic. And you're supposed to put that in your closet. Okay. But I couldn't commit. Cause I did that for, uh, it was in my closet for like maybe 10 minutes I'm like, well, what? I don't know. What if I'm inviting gross stuff into my life or whatever? I'm not going to explain this to my mom, so I, I bailed on it. But okay, so you um, had
1: some doubts and concerns. Uh, yeah, let's. I want to. I want to go back to your childhood and yes. and, and, and kind of walk through this Sorry. from your perspective yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, chronologically. So. Mm-hmm. You're a quite young kid. You're mm-hmm. saying like six ish when you're seeing going to carnivals and kind yes. of seeing this world. When did you take your first step into it? Did you take your first step in the heavy metal side from getting an album? Did you take your first step by reading some fantasy? How did you enter this world?
2: Um, I think it all kind of happened concurrently because my friend, I had a friend, my friend Ari had an older brother David, and David was into D and D and Def Leppard, and okay. this is this is like you know. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, this would have been like Pyromania era Death Leopard. So, you know, Rock of Ages and, um, you know, early early Death Leopard. Okay. They were, so they were still kind of scary, you know. You know, they had that video that opened up Glauben, Gleek, and Glauben, <laughs> Glauben. Yes. It's good stuff, right? And hoods. And then, dude, like, for some reason, the guy's walking through the woods, and there's like this, uh, there's like a moment where it's almost like Excalibur, where there's like a lady of the lake, and there's some weird ghostly lady floating and right. anyways
1: it's not pour some sugar on me which just no. looks like an ad for cable these days yeah, yeah. exactly uh, not scary okay
2: so there was that and then he was into both that and D and i kind of as much as i could as a kid with you know in the age before the internet like it's fa- ex- explored both as much as possible so um i remember i was in third grade when i got the basic box set for D, which is like third a, grade okay yeah um, and the inspiration for that, actually the, the what, what kind of like really pushed me to like the cat, the main catalyst for getting, for asking for that was I was in the community middle school because my grandma was teaching uh, after school guitar class there and we had to go pick her up. So I was in the school and in one of the display cases where like they display the students art, some kid had done this amazing thing where he had like written his name, Mike, I can I remember it. He wrote his name, Mike in dragons. Like, and he did such an amazing job on those dragons. I mean, it was like super detailed pen and ink, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I talked about this on Audrey's podcast a while ago, but like where, you know, you could see like the, uh, I believe it's called the bit of tarsal bones, like, you know, the fingers, like going through the, um, you know, going through the wings and all that stuff. And I was just like, dragons. Yeah.
1: Dragons, dragons are dragons. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about seeing dragons that said, made you say, I want to listen to Def Leppard while thinking about dragons. Like you personally made the connection between the two?
2: I think they just kind of eventually, it, it was like, um, I'm going to go uber nerd here. And I, I sucked in math, but I did get, learn about Lobachevsky and geometry, which is where you have two parallel lines that are infinitely getting closer, but never, never touching. Yeah. Similar thing here <laughs> with like in my life, metal and D and D are just, but they obviously eventually did intersect. Um, just because it happened like a lot of the kids I was hanging out with who were also, similar to me, nerds who were not interested in the reality that we were kind of existing in. So that's why we were drawn to this created this one.
1: Fantasy world. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's got some anger and some edge and some yep, power to it. Much yeah. like heavy metal. Yeah.
2: Um, and so and then it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized a big draw for me to metal as a kid was that um, it felt the way or it sounded the way I felt. You know, yeah. I couldn't verbalize feelings I was having or whatever like everybody else and when you're going through this is a little later on in childhood or whatever but when you're going through those changes in middle school and you know <laughs> things are starting to happen but right
1: and you feel misunderstood and yeah. unheard and yeah and you, this music is shouting out for
2: you exactly um and then i have very clear memories of just sitting and you know my friend popped in master of puppets side 1 and just hit play and we started creating characters and or sitting in the garage on the weekends with my f- same guy you know and like just sitting in the garage and you know painting minis you know on yeah. sunday morning <laughs> and listening you know, and probably should have had the win- uh, door open or something cuz yeah. we were using shitty tester's paint and no, that's the no that's testers. the
1: part of it i love is that it is emotionally understandable from this, like, era of time in the age of the people who are into it, but it's also always been funny to me that sort of, like the anger and the power of Master of Puppets versus, yeah. <laughs> like, I need to make sure that his sleeve is green and his yes. glove is red. Yeah, and if yeah, they yeah, cross yeah. over, it's incorrect. Yeah, yeah. There's this great synergy between that sort of uh, classic uh, stereotypical nerd mm-hmm. and the sort of classic stereotype of, like, the anger and the power of rock. Yeah. How did you feel when, so these naturally kind of overlap for you because mm-hmm. they were what were in your life. Uh, how did you feel when you started to encounter instances where they were combined on purpose? Like uh, going as far back as Zeppelin making nerdy references to The Hobbit to Metallica having, you know, Cthulhu references on the album. Places where, like, the two worlds did overlap on purpose. Was that, like, mind-blowing to you when, Absolutely. when you found those oh, things? Oh, yeah.
2: Like, um, yeah, and especially because a lot of the times, I, you know, I would hit the music first, and then I'd get the literary stuff for whatever second. Yeah. Um you know zeppelin obviously had already was already past tense you know by the time i got was online enough yeah. to kind of pick up on it um but it was like you know it was one of those things where I'm like wait a minute H- how do they know about that <laughs> how like, do well, they know how you, did they find out you can you can do this and be smart too you know i don't get it um i yeah absolutely i remember you know getting my first hp lovecraft uh paperback and um it was the doom that came to sarnath so yeah. that was, that was the that was the collection and i was there weren't any like direct cthulhu stories in there but there was a story that had like the line, you know, that which is not dead, which eternal lies with Strangely on death may die, which astute viewers will know shows up in Metallica is <laughs> the thing that should not be. But, you know, definitely like seeing those moments of connection and overlap were, were huge. I mean, th- there was a band called Bolt Thrower. I think they're still around. Yeah. Um, I never got into them. Just not, I don't feel one way or the other about them. I just never got, I never, just never really got turned on to them. But I knew about them because in RIP Magazine, which was like a metal magazine, you could get it. I mean, it wasn't any kind of, you know, deep, deep dive or anything. But I remember like uh, Bolt Thrower's first album, the artwork for the album cover was the artwork for the Warhammer rulebook for like the Warhammer 40k rulebook, the original one. And like just kind of being alone in my room, and I'm like seeing that, you know, and like nobody else can share this with me. What's going on? You know, so, so did
1: it did it make you feel like you were part of a private of club, course. and you were like sort oh, of being yeah. signaled
2: to? I think it's the way people feel like when they make up conspiracy theories now. You yeah, know, uh, except mine was pure and good.
1: Yours is pure and good. Well, let's talk about the pure and good because you already referenced it. I was going to mm-hmm. ask you because you're you're hyper aware of the Satanic Panic being a, a part mm-hmm. of all of this. Obviously, a part of. I think both D&D and heavy metal is yeah. playing with darker things Absolutely. and maybe even being empowered by them of saying, like, I can align myself with this darker energy, this darker mood, and it can make mm-hmm. me feel more heard and seen and, and powerful. Um, did you ever get scared? Were you just like, I'm so into this. uh is my band, so I feel comforted by them. You know, yeah, uh, playing a dark wizard is my thing, so I feel comforted by them. Or did you ever get to a point where you were like, I'm a little frightened by them.
2: Uh, well, when um, Beelzebub manifested by my bedside um, <laughs> and was like saying pay up or else, I knew I had gone too far. Uh, well, the funny thing is, is like any fan of the music or the game will tell you, it's a load of shit. You know, yeah. I, there's, you know, people have been saying rock and roll is the devil's music since day one. Yeah. Uh, and that's, there's a fantastic book called um, uh, Season of the Witch by, oh crap, Peter Berbergall, I hope I'm saying his name right. And he makes a great, Case like just using, you know, and, and it's not any kind of woo woo stuff, it's like a historical analysis of just the whole like through line in American culture that rock and roll is a devil's music is just re- it's racism, yeah, because it's it just comes down to white power, the white power establishment being threatened by not the Nazi, you know what I mean. By well, racism. in
1: a, uh, you, you've studied this, so so I'm asking, it, there's always seemed to me like there is an element of trying to repress sexuality too to just oh, control yeah, people That's... Uh, and that goes back to swing music. I've got this great Betty sure. Goodman album from 1938 where the Mm. concert reviewer is annoyed that his uh daughter is wiggling in the seat next to him to this naughty benny goodman music which makes perfect sense but it's funny from a modern context yeah
2: and it's the same thing i mean essentially what it all comes back to is uh as we all know rock and roll originated with the blues and the blues comes from in large part the music that you know the african slaves brought over with them and the long and the short of it is you know uh the slave masters said, uh, well, you're not free Africans anymore. You're Christian slaves. So stop listening to that dirty devil music. And in fact, even early gospel music, the whole idea was like, well, black people can't talk to God without the help of a white person. So gospel music is satanic as well. And one, in one way or another, that kind of malignancy has kind of just filtered down through time. Yeah. So whether we're talking about Benny Goodman or Elvis Presley or Metallica – um, you know, I mean, Robert Johnson said, I sold my soul at the crossroads, and I'm yeah. sure that was just a middle finger to everybody. Yeah. So having said all that, you know, it, it was like I never – at the time, I never bought into it. I never really felt – I never did feel scared because Metallica is not satanic at all. Yeah. Uh, later death metal bands that came along definitely were, and they were definitely like on purpose kind of like – it was almost like, what are you going to do? Like Yeah. Look at this album cover and these lyrics. Come at us, you know.
1: Um, <laughs> we want your attention, Tipper Gore. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, and then it also may not have helped that, as I mentioned previously, like and growing out of the same thing of just being dissatisfied with the reality I existed in. That I did get into, you know, I did. I, re- I had a copy of the Satanic Bible, like that I would carry very obviously when I was a freshman in high school. And, <laughs> um,
1: so you were aligning yourself with the the power represented by. Playing with things that culture tells you to be, that, you know, popular society tells you to be afraid of.
2: I wanted to know what it said. I I definitely didn't want to, like, you know, get involved with Satan or anything like that. I wasn't a believer or anything like that. But I definitely, like, I mean, if somebody puts a book on the table in front of you, it says the Satanic Bible. And you're not curious about what it (laughs) says in there.
1: That makes perfect sense for reading it at home. But I'm really fascinated by the image that you were carrying it, obviously, as a freshman in high school.
2: I was just an angry kid, you know. It was an attention getter. Okay. obviously. So, yeah. you know, um, much, which is pretty much my career course. So, <laughs> I believe yours is as well. So. Uh, you
1: know, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think yeah. it is. I'm really fascinated by it because I, d- I think, yeah, the sort of puritanical, you will, this is what the kids are doing. It's not lonely nerds making up fantasy stories in the basement. It's mm-hmm. that they're trying to raise Satan by painting their miniatures. Obviously that's yeah. absurd. But I also think, like heavy metal music and d d it invokes dark things i think uh, yeah so you can in theory deal with them in a healthy way but i still feel like it is you, you are immersing yourself in listening to angry music all the time and i'm al- i'm always curious how much is that cathartic and for other people how much did that uh, did that ever scare them like i'm i'm putting myself in a place to think about dark things and be angry all the time
2: that's a really good question. And I think, you know, it's you know it's almost like one of those chicken and, sorry to use a cliche, but like a chicken and egg thing, right? I think that, you know, um, it's like anything else. You know, there's people, people do bad shit, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, and there are multiple reasons and complex reasons. And it's never one thing, you know, like yeah. that someone is fundamentally broken and they go and commit some horrific atrocity or whatever. And, you know. They happen to have like what's his name, the Night Stalker, uh, the L.A. Strangler. We don't even need to say his name because we shouldn't, <laughs> you know, make those dudes heroes. Some do, but he was known like for listening to ACDC and like you know, and he was really big, like proclaiming himself to be a Satanist and stuff. Um, and I think that if that proclivity is inside someone, if it's not one thing, it's going to be something else that that sets them off. Um, so, but I also think that at the same time, it, to completely deny. Uh, your shadow self is also is dysfunctional as well. Okay, yeah, that's you know. great.
1: Yeah, because I don't I don't ever ever prescribe to the oh they listen to Metallica and therefore murder. That's right. bullshit. Obviously, uh, Megadeth but the, maybe but the shadow no. self. That's the that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Just your your personal experiences. So you you were telling the story about uh, witchcraft. Yes. So tell me about that. Where at what point did you say like I you know this is. In D&D, it's fantasy, and Mm -hmm. at what point do you like, I'm going to dabble with this in real life to see if some of the the power you get through being uh, confrontational and holding your satanic Mm rights book out there for everybody to see, now you're going to take that a step farther and actually try to invoke some of the spirits that maybe James Hetfield yells about.
2: Sure. Um, I think that, you know, as weird as that, you know, and I know that kind of, you know, comes off kind of quirky and weird because most people don't do that as kids, I don't think, but... It I think it came from something that everybody as humans were just programmed to like. We we arrive on the planet and we're like, why am I here? Yeah. You know, what does all this mean? You know, just the basic philosophical stuff. And religion provides that answer for some people. I grew up Reformed Jewish, which means like worse than like bad answers, I got no answers. And that's not, a di- I mean, like that's just kind of the Reformed Judaism I had, where it was, you know, I would. Ask my rabbi or, you know, I'd be reading about this stuff and I'd say, what's the Jewish take on demons and Asmodeus and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, well, well it's, we don't really uh, talk about that. It's, it's more <laughs> parables for living in the world and being a good per- which is all well and good if you're an adult who's figured out what those questions are. But- yeah. So, I think I turned to that because I wasn't getting answers. Like, and I was just looking. I was asked. So, I started asking other, you know, I started going to other sources for answers. Okay.
1: And was it just, just like, uh, just straight Wiccan stuff? Like, I mean, is, I I mean, obviously, Wiccan is just another religion. Right. Yeah. Was this like, was this like sort of the legitimate practice of being a Wiccan? Or was it more like I read this in the back of a spell book?
2: Read it, yeah. I think, I think the, the, nail and garlic bulb spell, I think I mentioned. I think that might have come from the Modern Witches spellbook or something. Okay. Like And there was like a, a crew of kids at the school I was at that like there were paper, these battered paperbacks that would kind of like make the rounds or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty famous, uh, maybe you've heard of it, like there's the Simon Necronomicon. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. This is like a whole thing unto itself. <laughs> this, this is the 70s miniseries that I want to see made. Like forget all the other stuff. Like, yeah. And it's, it, in New York, of course, like there was this uh, in the 70s, there was this new age bookshop called the Magical Child Bookshop. And oh, man, so I'm talking about the, maybe there's a part of me like maybe this stuff's real and I shouldn't be talking about it. But um, <laughs> the the long and the short of it supposedly a counterfeit, you know, Necronomicon was created by a circle of people that hung out at this kind of very famous New Age bookshop where like like Glenn Danzig was known to be a, to frequent it I think in his pre-misf, pre-misfit days okay there was a space in the back for workings and rituals and that kind of thing but apparently like as a joke a bunch of people made a fake Necronomicon with a whole story behind it yeah and you can but you can go buy it and I think you can still go to Barnes and Noble and pick it up you know and there's spells in there and shit to do <laughs> um none of Shit's it's to do yeah yeah you know if you want to summon uh you know if you want to open a portal to a Zagthoth, yeah. And uh, if you're into that, personally I wouldn't want to take the chance. Yeah. Um so how did I get on all that?
1: Uh kind of your your path to doing this oh, uh, this yeah. spell to try to get uh, was it was to get a girl to yeah. like you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it didn't work by the way. Yeah. Um so uh, Well, you, you stopped it early. Right? Yeah. Well, it's on me. I didn't commit. So, yeah, there it is. Um but you know, so I, I knew I didn't want to mess with anything dark just in case. And I'm not an atheist now. I'm not a religious person either. But I, I definitely believe there's more than our experiences as beings than, yeah. you know, what we physically and directly experience. But um, uh, at the time, and I was looking for a gateway to that. You know? Yeah. And I thought that maybe this kind of stuff would provide that. So Yeah,
1: that, that's a really insightful and interesting path to, you know, really... It's, the, it's so the opposite of any sort of bullshit satanic panic where you would go to your religious authority figure get any, with a question and get like a shrugging emoji back. Right. So like, <laughs> well, I'm going to look elsewhere. Yeah. To try to understand the mysteries of the universe. Right. Yeah. Cool. So obviously you love this stuff mm-hmm. a, as a kid when you were kind of at the prime age for it mm-hmm. when it was all emerging. Uh, did you ever have a time where you stepped away from it? Because obviously it's a huge part of your life and yeah. your career. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine even worldview now. Sure. Did you ever step away from
2: it? Um. Yeah. Uh, I think like uh, I spent some time in the wilderness, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you know, some of it was just natural, like evolution of tastes and, and sensibility, which I think is a good thing because nobody wants, you know, be, be pretty bad shape if I was still have the exact same worldview I had yeah. when I was 14 or whatever. But. Um, I think just as a result of being into bands like Metallica and again this is pretty, like if I had the internet not, if I had the internet when I was in junior high I would I would not have made it out Okay. I think between the pornography and just like, you know, and, and the unlimited access to whatever you want to know about what uh, everything, I, I wouldn't have made it. I mean, I was struggling enough with like one issue of Metal Edge was like enough to distract <laughs> me for months. So, but having said that, it was like, so because of Metallica, I saw they were always wearing Misfits t-shirts. So because of that, I got into the Misfits, which opened the door to Punk, which opened the door to Ska, which opened the door to like all these other, you know, this huge yeah. widening of taste, which was great. And, um, you know, same thing with D&D, stopped playing after a while. Even with that, though, uh, with D&D and Warhammer, eventually Warhammer 40K, even when I was in college and stuff and not going anywhere near any of that, if there was a game store that, you know, I'd, I'd go in and just take a look around at stuff. Because I always have a soft spot for miniatures and that kind of thing. Okay. And um, honestly, you know, when just... That original artwork, like I was mentioning before, those Jeff Easley covers and any of those artists from that era, like Clyde Caldwell, Lord Larry Elmore. Um, I don't think he did any stuff for D anD. d I'm sure people will correct me if he did, but Michael Whelan is another like anyone in that era of like just awesome, kick ass fantasy artists. It's like that. No matter where I am, or like that stuff will grab me and pull my eyes out of their sockets and hold me. Okay, so, yeah,
1: that is just your aesthetic. That yeah. your eyes just go to mm-hmm. immediately, no matter what. Okay, yeah.
2: cool. So, what
1: brought you back? as an adult because obviously it's a big as you're describing it's a big part of your work this whole mm-hmm. aesthetic uh, I would imagine that you spent a decent amount of time just listening I know you play D&D mm-hmm. and I'm sure you listen to metal so you're still you're back in this world as an adult yeah what brought you back
2: Um, I kind of just organically came back to listening to a lot of old heavy metal I don't know years ago like, like I don't know maybe 10 years ago or whatever yeah. and then um, one of my My – well, actually, my now agent, but a guy that I've been developing stuff with forever, my pal Dan Rosenblum, who I've known for 25 years or some odd – a long time. Okay. Um, He's – you know, he's also – he works in music with, like, a concentration and, like uh, – he has a lot of clients in the heavy metal world. So because of Dan, like, I got turned on to a lot of new heavy metal that, you know, I had kind of – we're going to get deep in the weeds here for a second, but you know (laughs) what? I'm not a fan of new metal, which would be like your limp biscuits, your, your, your corn, like rat metal and that kind of thing. If you dig it fine, it's just not my thing. And, uh, and I was only listening to really, you know, older stuff. And then because of just knowing Dan and like he, just because of knowing Dan and like kind of being around him, getting turned on to like, there's a lot of great brand new vibrant heavy metal that's being made right now. That is not, that's obviously drawing from the past, but it's it's current and it's its own thing. Um, so all of that kind of just infused me and, in like, you know, yeah, just fuel. And then, um, let's see, two years ago, my son asked to play D&D. And, and how
1: old is your son now? He'll be 10 okay. in uh, a few weeks. But um, So around the same age when you were getting into this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's obviously a huge moment for you as a father to say, yeah. Of course, son, I'll play D&D with you, Yeah. Right?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. And, like, running a game for my son and his friends is, like, you know, it's immensely fulfilling. Just because, like, to sit at a table for three hours and, like, there's zero screens coming out and all the kids are, su- are engaged in it and, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's just awesome. And you know? are
1: you just letting the D&D experience be, because uh, D&D is so evolving in, yeah. like, what it means culturally. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, the, the joke of, you play D&D in the basement and must never have sex is dead. Right. Because... Super young, right. super hot, sex having people are having uh, are playing D and D. It's a, uh, a, I
2: missed it's the bus. The hot yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's changing. It's evolving. Are you letting D and D just be whatever it is for your son and his friends, or are you like, hey, we've played D and D. Now it's playing D and D while listening to this Metallica album. And are you are you trying to recreate that experience that you had?
2: no actually um like actually my son f- came just found master of puppets on his own okay like, the song <laughs> because which he's was your tremendous. son yeah because like, you know especially like living in la like you see plenty of toddlers in ramones onesies and all that and it's like yeah. we all know that kid did not pick out that onesie <laughs> you're as a parent you're forcing your taste on your kid you know yeah. my my joke was like my kid's gonna become a young republican and like love yanni when he wants to <laughs> but um so, like, and also with kids, it's like you know, adding the music kind of almost distracts them a bit because I don't—I could be wrong here, but it seems to me like that's like putting too much into the experience, and it's like would start pulling them out of it. So, okay, if he finds that connection between D and D and metal awesome, if not, like he's he he's doing his own thing with it and having a really great time, and yeah, it's I love. But just watching him make it his own thing. Okay, so.
1: cool. So now that you're totally back into this world, you're you're playing D and D lots. You've got all this new metal to appreciate. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: That's N E W, not new, not N U with <laughs> the rock dots
1: over the U. Sorry, rock dots.
2: <laughs> you could uh, say umla, but why? why? Why rock, rock dots, dots is better? Yeah. That's
1: why you're a writer. That's awesome.
2: I didn't, it's not mine, but thank you.
1: <laughs> um, so what is your personal relationship? Obviously, you have a professional relationship. Mm-hmm. You're seeing some of this stuff through your son's eyes and Mm -hmm. and his friends but like uh what's your relationship to it now
2: to to
1: this what we're calling epic science fantasy this whole this whole world that you love of all of these overlapping aesthetics um when you sit in a room alone and listen to one of these songs while you're painting miniatures if that's a thing you do sure what's your you know are you visiting your shadow self
2: I don't know if I'm visiting my shadow self. I think it's probably just like I found a very inexpensive midlife crisis.
0: Because, um, <laughs>
2: you know, I I bought, you know, I went online because part and I recognize part of it is absolutely revisiting my youth because I, you know, I could have gone and got, you know, the current books for D&D and, and all that because so, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, you want to get into the granular mechanics of the rules. There's differences, but essentially it's 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 make-believe with a lot of rules so grown-ups can play make-believe yeah different rules to get to the same place yeah Yeah. um but i wanted like i said i wanted the books with those covers you know and i wanted the whole i wanted the experience of just opening the because it's it's like watching your old an old favorite movie or or listening to an old song you know it's it's like a visit from an old friend so um and i think my personal relationship with it is like um I don't want to sound, it's going to be hard to say without sounding pretentious, but it's like, it's kind it's where I live, you know? Yeah. Uh, whether, whatever projects I'm working on in one way or another, like I don't try to force elements of that in, but they always end up finding their way in anyway. Because yeah. it's just, it's part of, you know, at least right now, it's part of my voice and the way I've found that I can most effectively express myself. Yeah. So which is really all I wanted to do (laughs) is express yourself
1: all along. Well, do you think that is why you gravitate toward that? And I've been thinking about that a lot for myself about Mm -hmm. like when I do creative projects, you know, what things that I loved, am I, you know, sort of putting through my own filter? Yeah. I think it's a natural thing to do. And especially as you get older, there is that element of a nostalgia, but I think there's also some deep instinct to give other people the experience that you had when you first encountered it. Mm -hmm. So, for like any of your writing projects that evoke this world if you're if you get them done and you give them to somebody else what is it ultimately that you're giving them is it that uh the that experience with playing with the darker things uh, you know spending time with your shadow self as you called it mm-hmm. is it giving people an outlet to express their anger in a safe way what what is
2: it i think it's um Getting the, or finding the exhilaration of just enjoying a story or just uh, being entertained, whatever f- form that takes, but the epic, fan- what, what was a the great, thing? Uh, epic, epic science, science fantasy, fantasy yeah. it puts everything in a ridiculously wonderful, like heroic epic scale. I mean, it's like Wagnerian, Okay, you know? and I think just for me, like that helps me just in looking at my own life, uh, when I'm dealing with very, you know. The the same kind of mundane, but, you know, mundane problems to everybody, but the person who's dealing with the problem to you, it's like, it's a crushing, you know, if you're dealing with something that's stressing you out or or upsetting or whatever it is, to me, it's almost, I guess it comes back to using humor as almost as a defense mechanism. Yeah. Because if I put it in the context of like... Well, that's one dragon slate or whatever it is. And the dragon, <laughs> and in, the dragon in this case is the produce in the fridge that needs to be cleaned out that is like kind of just gotten really gnarly and, you know, celery shouldn't be gray. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, you know, I'm putting it off because I don't want to do it or whatever. I mean, that's like a really small, dumb example. But yeah. I think like just kind of perceiving just like conflict and resolution through that lens of ri- the ridiculously epic and the ridiculously heroic yeah. for me is, you know, it's, uh, Cathartic and enjoyable.
1: Yeah, that's great because I was asking a lot of questions about the sort of the the darkness and the anger and Mm. the the, I think pubescent perspective, as as you put it. But the comedy perspective of it is great. And you had mentioned Flash Gordon is a place where a lot of these things came Mm -hmm. together, obviously with the main soundtrack. And and I think one, I just rewatched that movie, and one of the really pleasing things about it is this: for no reason other than he's a quarterback with a good attitude, everybody thinks Flash can do everything. (laughs) Well, yeah. And like, like there's something comforting. There is almost like a. It's uh, like a. uh, Like a. Just kind of a positive go get him speech of like, be like Flash Gordon. He can take the trash out. He can get (laughs) rid of that gross broccoli. Sure. And one of the best bands in the world to fucking sing about it while he does it. It's like, it's funny and inspiring at the same time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, like Flash Gordon. I found out not too long ago that movie actually was released on my birthday. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing it in the theater as a kid. And and I think, like, really, like, my whole professional, all my, all my goals can be boiled down to, like, I want to make my own version of the War Rocket Ajax battle sequence. <laughs> when it's just the Hawkmen are attacking and then that kick-ass queen, like, composed for that scene. Yeah. That great, you know, you know the kick-ass rock riff kicks in and and it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, And it's just this wonderful, like, mishmash of all these things I love in the same place. Um, And, you know, uh, yeah, and there was something about, there's just something just gorgeous, like, it's a beautiful film. You know, it's just like the the skies and the costumes and everything is just gorgeous. Uh, And at the same, like, the story! (laughs) Even Lorenzo Semple Jr., like, in the special features on the DVD, I had, like, I think the first thing he said when they were asking was like, eh, "I could use another draft." So I mean, like, <laughs> but um,
1: well, and they they kind of shot a different movie than he wrote, right? That's part of the the secret of its of its madness is that he intended it to be kind of goofy and fun, and some actors are approaching it that way, and others aren't.
2: Yeah, I think it was mainly Dilo Dillorendis wanted to get his Star Wars out asap, and yeah. they just kind of they rushed it a little bit. So yeah, um, so but uh, yeah, I, I think like even. Which is going back to what you said about the shadow self and the way it connects to all of this is like those, it's like our sh- our shadow selves are exposed, I think, when, you know, one of the times is when we're facing the hard stuff, you know? Yeah. Because it's like that's ultimately, and this is also something I learned working on the book, it's like whenever fear enters the equation, if we're not, or at least for me, if like if I'm not conscientious about how I'm engaging with the fear that I, that I'm feeling. If I'm not, you know, if I just kind of go on autopilot and it's like, I'm afraid, and then you click over into essentially into you know, fight, flight, or freeze, whatever. Oh, fight, fight, or flight, fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Okay. You're not thinking then you're, now you're just reacting to a situation and, um, you're
1: not even really cognizant always that you're making a decision based right. on fear, right? You're just, you feel that fear deep in your gut right? and you act.
2: Yeah. So I think it's like a matter of being able to maybe kind of like engage with that fear or the dark side or whatever it is and acknowledge it and look at it, but not, you know, start wearing, you know, all black in a trench coat in Florida <laughs> in the summer, which I have seen done. Did you do that? I did. I wore, it was like the first weekend of... That School was back, so it was. I just remember this specifically. I don't know I we took like a family trip down to Miami, and I was wearing a brand new Metallica shirt, so the silk screen was like sticking to me, like <laughs> through the thing, you know, and a pair of LA gear jeans, which were like over dyed black, yeah, in Miami in early September, which was a poor wardrobe choice, <laughs> very uncomfortable. So,
1: but you, you were loud and proud, oh, yeah, so absolutely. Low. So, you, ha- you are um, thoughtful. About all this stuff, you uh, have uh, written a book about decision making. At this point, we co-wrote it. Co-wrote it. Uh, Do you do you think of times that you made a different decision in life because of everything that's been infused in you by this aesthetic, where like you're really conscious of like I'm gonna, you know, not I'm gonna make a decision not out of fear. I'm gonna make a decision based on feeling powerful or anything like that.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, my decision to move here right after I graduated, right after I graduated college, uh, I feel like that was a pretty, you know, uh, yeah. Is def- a, that was, was
1: a, a metal thing to do? Yeah, I yeah. think that was an
2: epic moment. I mean, also, I mean, <laughs> I was reading a lot of Hunter S. Thompson at the time. So if I'm honest, like he influenced it too. But okay. I think he was just like a new face that I had kind of put on that same driving force in my life of just iconoclastic courage and abandon yeah Um. I think definitely then I think any time that I've taken any kind of risk yeah Um. not that I'm not risk averse in my own way and that I I don't still grapple with stuff all the time I do yeah I think on it's on those moments when you know when I can come through for myself I think that those moments definitely is when this stuff is running high in the front of my mind yeah and <clears>
1: did you say to yourself because I think I've heard you describe things as metal when you're just like <laughs> something is good you've said it's,
2: that's so metal absolutely uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's your
1: that's so Raven uh, yeah <laughs> Did, yeah, did you literally say to yourself when you decided to move to Los Angeles, like this is an epic metal thing to do?
2: Um, I wish I could say honestly <laughs> that I did. I probably should for the sake of the sh- show we're doing right now. No, honesty, I, um, I didn't. But um, I felt the same way in my heart when I did that that I do now, like moving ahead with like you know, uh, metal Knights or or yeah. anything like that, where it's kind of um, because the other thing with metal and I feel like it's finally kind of getting around this was that um it never went away. There's a, there's a perception with a lot of people who maybe aren't as tuned into it as others that, you know, it was a pop cultural blip that maybe started with black Sabbath and then ended with poison on the sunset strip. And while some people would consider, you know, that to be true or whatever, or that I personally, I think of poison more as a rock and roll band, not really necessarily a metal band, but um, it never went anywhere, you know? And, and I think especially now because of the way, just the changes in the recording industry and, and, you know, we don't really listen to the radio anymore. So if you're not going out of your way to hear a band or a certain kind of music, you're not going to hear it. And I include myself in this. We fall into our pop culture trenches. Yeah. And we plug into what's going to keep us in those trenches and feed us. And then we don't really have any, unless someone offers us, we're not going to expand beyond that. Yeah. Um, So how did I get on that? Uh, Oh, just in that. um, I think that like when we were kind of, shopping metal nights around or whatever, or like just first getting interest in the project at first, you know, we would kind of, it was really um, invigorating to connect with people who, who got it as well, who, who got it instantly, you know, even if they didn't know all the bands we were into or whatever, who were like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, you say, you know, when you start talking about heavy metal, they don't go to like, you know, misogynist, jerks you know at the whiskey a go-go or whatever yeah not poison not the poisonous misogynist jerks never met them i don't know <laughs> maybe they're all woke certainly maybe some of
1: their music and videos could not
2: be described maybe be they arrived woke in woke. 1987 yeah with uh you know look with the cat dragged in or whenever that was but uh you know for us you know when, when people just get that it's yeah it's about you know insane pyrotechnics and viking boats on stage and, and you know all that Wonderful theatricality.
1: Yeah, it's epic and fun yeah. and powerful and maybe a little bit of darkness wrestling yep. with all that. And it's yeah, yeah. it's forward moving and of the 21st century.
2: Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah, really
1: yeah. cool. Um, speaking of bands, if you could play D&D with any heavy metal band, living, dead, whatever, who would you want to play D&D with? Oh
2: my God. Whatever answer I give you, I know I'm going to call you on my drive home. Be like, <laughs> wait, can we patch me in? Let me change it. Um, any band. Could I, If I could play D&D with any band. They have to be alive? No. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is metal. It's fine if they're dead. Right, they can sure. be raised. Um, yeah, I'd say at the table, I, I, if I can pick and choose from a couple, I'd love to have Cliff Burton, who was the original bass player for Metallica, because he did play D and D. Okay. Wow. Um, with I believe with Jim Martin, who was the original guitar player for Faith No More. Jim Martin's still alive. So it's two guys. Uh, I'd love to have uh, Tobias Forge, aka uh, Cardinal Copia slash Papa Emeritus from Ghost. That's a current band. Okay. Um, yeah. In fact, if I could have him playing a character, that'd be great. Let's say he's playing it too, because I'll save myself some. It's two people. That's four people at the table already. It's a pretty good table. Yeah. And I'm DMing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Those 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 guys.
1: Nice. And I like that you want to DM for them. Sure. You're Like you've got the power.
2: I would like to think I do. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Now uh, this is just a dumb question, since we're talking about all of this fun fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. If you could have any wizard powers, what wizard power would you want?
2: oh crap um i think it'd be cool if i could fly right uh, yeah um that's the old one like would you rather fly or be invisible and then like people can tell if you're a sociopath by which one you answer <laughs> um i'd like to be invisible that could be some cool stuff uh what else you'd like
1: to be invisible but mentally healthy
2: yeah invisible but mentally healthy what What would be like an iconic spell from D that would be cool uh Big B's floating fist, or Big B's floating hands, just so I could magic up a hand to do stuff for me. That'd okay, cool. a magic
1: hand to do stuff for you. Yeah. If you are a wizard, and so it's the real world. Okay. Suddenly, you wake up. You have this power, and just this power, because I like this—the big floating fist. Okay. And uh, you decide to let the world know that I am a wizard with this one power. Yeah. Would you become like a superhero figure? Would you take on a wizard name?
2: Oh crap! Yeah, I guess I'd have to, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it seems like the responsible thing to it do. It would be, yeah. yeah. And then I wouldn't want, you know. I wouldn't want the writing stuff to get mixed up with the wizard stuff. Yeah. You know, so you don't want to keep the brands clean. So, yeah.
1: I think that's a great answer that the first thing you would consider as a wizard is the branding.
2: You got it. Well, look, come on. You know, let's be realistic about this. <laughs> let's be realistic about the question of what would I do if I was a wizard?
1: We're going to move on to our how obsessed are you questions. Okay. Do you think about epic science fantasy every day? Yes. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I mean,
1: you have to because it's what you're working on. But you'd think about it even if you took a break from writing. Uh, Not that you're going to, but if you did, you'd still think about all this, right?
2: Uh, Yeah. hundred. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, this has always been something like this is not confined only to metal music, but especially with metal music. Like I'm always like and especially when it's instrumentals, it's like I always see scenes happening in my mind to music and to songs and stuff so like i'll you know story ideas come from there or scene ideas come from there um and it you know it's i've been doing it long before i got paid to do it so yeah um yeah that's always where it's where my mind goes no matter what okay
1: cool uh when people walk into your home can they tell you're obsessed with epic science fantasy
2: no, because i'm married um no, my wife's awesome. she loves all of this. she's totally loves that I'm into it um, however, yeah. we're grown ups with a son, so um you know you gotta you can't have all this crap lying around you got you know if you went into my game cabinet, you'd see yeah. stacks and stacks of, of stuff yeah um so it, it depends what room in the house you're in yeah. And uh, if i 've cleaned up recently, not, so.
1: <laughs> okay, so not immediately obviously uh, that you're obsessed is your wife you said that she likes that you're into it is she into any of this stuff
2: she's not um, but she appreciates it you know and what's cool is like she's like nerdy about her own stuff, which is like you know I mean one of the reasons like why I love listening to your interview with your wife is like spreadsheets, right I'm yeah. like I know nothing about that <laughs> I don't enjoy interacting with spreadsheets. I use them because I have to. Uh, I want to hear why someone's obsessed with it and then like because w- I think ultimately that's what it's all about is like you know you find finding the commonality finding the differences all lead to our commonalities anyway yeah. right and you know it, it's what you f- what what you find meaning and fulfillment in is what you're going to obsess on and you know for your wife that was super- I love like you were talking like the analogy she made to like you know it's like playing a piano or whatever I was like. That was was awesome. I (laughs) love that. Yeah. And, you know, my wife is an architect, so she has a whole other area of specialty that I know nothing about. Right. And, you know, it's like, um, I'm going to compare my wife to Dan Aykroyd, but this is a favorable (laughs) comparison. (laughs) Uh, You know, if anybody was watching any decent Dan Aykroyd movies, you know that that dude can drop jargon like like a motherfucker. Yeah. You know, Spice Like Us, Ghostbusters, whenever He, he can do that. And that's endearing and we love it because it's like, it's, I don't know what it means, but that sounds legit. And and I love that you know it. And, like, I'll be talking to about, – I'll be talking with Stacey about, you know, she'll be explaining um, how a particular photo cell on a building works or a window system or something, you know. And she will go deep into jargon. And, like, I'll be like, what's that? And we'll start laughing because, um, you know, because obviously, you know, she – nerd it out yeah and anytime that happens is a wonderful thing yeah. so it's like we, we we connect on our nerdiness even if our nerdinesses don't overlap
1: cool so is uh is your the front living room of your home then is it just sort of a neutral no obsessions or loves represented or is it? oh that makes it sound bleak well Oof. that's what i, I asked this question it's sometimes loveless, people really heartless. like that <laughs> um. uh, sometimes people just feel like well i like things that are like just like tastefully decorated so the mood comes from how the color of the couch you know goes along with the rhythm of the coffee table or whatever (laughs) but uh for you is it just is it a mixture of all of all of the family's interests
2: i think so like we have like a vintage like we have a we have like a a vintage movie poster from an old comedy up you know like silent era yeah but you know which is we both love for different reasons you know and for some overlapping reasons as well and uh there's that. And then, you know, there's my son's toys, which are kind of just always out <laughs> or all over the place or whatever. Um, there's like I guess there's like little knickknacks and artifacts here and there yeah. that, that would kind of hint at like deeper stuff. You OK. Know? Yeah, I like it. So, so it's
1: kind of like you're walking into the the first room of a dungeon and there are some clues. That is exactly what walking <laughs> into my home is like. Awesome. Uh, would you ever get a tattoo or do you have a tattoo that reflects your interest in this whole era?
2: You know, there's been so many times I thought about getting a tattoo, and then a month later I was really glad I didn't get the tattoo. Okay. Um, so probably not. I don't have anything against tattoos. I just haven't found one that, like, I feel like, that one's okay forever. Yeah. So. Is um, it really
1: just because the actual image? Because, like, some of these things you love, like, your love of miniatures doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. That's true. But, but is there something about, like, a miniature of a tattoo still doesn't sing to you for some reason?
2: Yeah. Uh, the Yeah, it doesn't sing to me. Okay. Like, um... Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I mean, again, I other people get them and dig them. But I've seen some really awesome tattoos. I just haven't thought of one or seen one or anything yet that was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go do that now.
1: Okay, and you've never missed. You've never felt like this is a, a part of this. Like you can get a tattoo of anything you love, but this particular kind of stuff, it seems like getting a tattoo would be in the in this world makes sense. And you've never felt like, man, I want a, I want a tattoo because it make me feel more a part of this whole world.
2: No. Okay. Not really. Cool.
1: <laughs> you taking a lesson of uh, of all of this uh, iconoclast stuff and be in a kind class. I'll show you. I won't get a tattoo. Uh, would you buy and wear epic science fantasy pajamas?
2: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I'm wearing an epic science fantasy T-shirt right now. It's
1: really epic. Uh, Thank you. What What is this creature?
2: That is. This is um, an illustration from the original Monster Manual. Nice. Uh, it's a Minotaur.
1: It's a Minotaur uh, with a battle axe.
2: Yeah. Just looking super badass, I think. That is um, nice. Thank yeah. you. And the key to it is there's no text on it. So I, I like that it's just kind of like a visual. It's
1: a reference. conversation starter. Exactly,
2: because I can't start those on my own.
1: <laughs> You're more than capable of that.
2: I'm socially incompetent.
1: But uh, so I, ask, I often ask about uh, wearing stuff. So pajamas is something where, like, well, you celebrate it at home alone. Uh, but for things like this shirt that you choose to wear, mm-hmm. do you wear it for your own joy and also because you want to engage out in public?
2: Um, yeah, I would definitely say yes. Yeah. Okay. If I'm going to be honest, hundred percent. Yes. Because, uh, I found, especially like over the last couple of years, like I've just kind of been amassing D and D shirts. Cause finally, well, look, Facebook's good for two things, right? <laughs> Destroying our democracy <laughs> and like just laser sight targeting the nerds. Right. Cause it's like, you know, Oh, you like D and D? How about this? Yeah. You know? And then just like t-shirts for days I'm like oh yeah that's i've been waiting for that larry elmore piece to be on it and there's no words on it i'm like, yes um so but what's nice about it is so you wear it out when you go out at night or whatever and you're meeting people for the first time and then someone's like is that the monster manual thing and it's like a freemason handshake yeah. you know it's like now <laughs> we have something to talk about for at least 20 minutes so, yeah yeah uh, nice. before i ask what you can do for me yeah,
1: so. <laughs> epic um if someone, speaking of Facebook, if someone was mocking, say, D&D on Facebook, mm-hmm. a friend of yours regularly, yeah, not directing at you, it's just what they happen to be posting about, that D&D is stupid, would you unfriend them?
2: I think I'd be – I would start a passive-aggressive campaign <laughs> to get them – Uh, banned from Facebook and I'd I'd start throwing around buzzwords like microaggression and things like that. So, and even though it might take away from actual microaggression and actual things that need attention, yeah, I feel like uh, solving my wounded ego would be (laughs) worth it. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I would uh, just never ask that person to play D&D. Okay. Or maybe I would pester them to play until they finally saw the light.
1: Okay. So just having a, a constant drip of negativity about the things you love, What's your philosophy on that? Is it just like, I love what I love, so I don't care what other
2: people think? To me, that's part and parcel of uh, of, of the whole thing, you know? And, and this, this hooks back to what you were saying before about how, like, the stigma is kind of off D&D now, yeah. which is wonderful and great, you know? And I, I think that, you know, I it took me a long time to outgrow the whole, like, I don't want people to like what I like. I want to, you know, the whole, I'd like, you know, I liked them before they were on a major label, that yeah. stupid mentality where it's like, when she, if you think about it, it's like, if you like something that somebody is making and more people liking that means that person who made it is going to do well, why wouldn't you want them to do well? Then there'll be
1: more of the thing that you like. Right. You
2: know, it's, it's their work is not your identity. So, um, but, uh, I think for me just like, and again, this goes back to being the iconoclast kid who's walking around with the daring people ask me about the satanic Bible. I'm, Making sure you can see is on top of my math folder as I walk between classes. Um, it go it goes with it. You know, the whole like, you know, Ooh, that's gross and weird or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, we don't need you anyway. You know,
1: so. Yeah. Okay, great. That makes
2: sense. Especially if you're already a nerd and people are saying you're gross and weird just, you know, on the face of it. Right. right. Before
1: you-, you own it and say, sure. Yeah. Line Absolutely. Up. I am gross and weird. Uh if someone told you that there was an undiscovered early heavy metal album from a band that you loved, like right in the sweet spot, late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. and it was in a hole in the ground out in the woods, would you stick your hand in there to get it?
2: Oh, so this is like the, the wood beast in Flash Gordon, right?
1: <laughs> I guess it is. Right? Uh, that's not where this came from. Uh, uh, but yes, it is.
2: I would, um, uh, what's my, um, yeah, I, I would. I mean, would that be a, a would that be an ability check? Or would
1: <laughs> I think it'd be a luck roll. Uh just, Okay. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's really about uh how far you go for the thing you love. Like, are you the kind of person who would take a risk?
2: Oh yeah. I mean if it was for something awesome, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to like uh you know, we're lucky enough now, like we live in a big city where if you want to see an awesome show, just wait five minutes and a fantastic band will come through. But uh, I went to school in Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State. So uh, we did get great bands coming through, but a lot of the times you would hear like, you know, so-and-so's coming, they're not coming down any further than Atlanta. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much of a risk it is, but it's definitely like piling in the car and like driving five hours or whatever it was to get to, I don't remember how long the road trip was, but... Making those road trips yeah. just to see a band, and then pile back in the car and driving home like while the sun's coming up. Yeah. Um. So and I, I, yeah, I would still go that far for stuff that I love. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Cool. Would you name a child or a pet after anything in this whole oeuvre?
2: Pet, yes. Child, no. Okay. Uh, yeah. Why?
1: Why is that line there?
2: Um. Because the pet, no matter what the pet's name is, you know, if you give your pet a shitty name, your pet's not going to really <laughs> suffer for it. Like some people, like when they leave your house, they might. I can't believe you named the dog Rastlin or whatever. Yeah, but you know, but, but uh, if
1: the pet's name is Mind Flayer, they're just more popular on Instagram. Exactly. Right? Yeah. that's a fantastic name for a dog, by the way,
2: <laughs> uh, or a hamster. That, that's. Uh, <laughs> but like a kid, that's like you know you're you're taking away someone's agency. Really, I mean, okay. naming somebody is kind of a, a heavy responsibility. Yeah. So. Um. yeah, so if your name, you know, I'd like to use, I used to pretend that I was named after Paul Atreides because my mom once mentioned that she read Dune while she was pregnant with me. Okay. So that's not true, but I liked believing it for a little while. <laughs> but uh, it gave
1: you agency. Sure. To yeah. your point. Yeah. Right, right. So. Okay. So you feel like, I agree with you, obviously that naming a child is a responsibility yeah. to that child. If you ever found a name that you felt invoked these loves, but was still like a gift to a kid. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing that?
2: Sure. I mean, maybe he's a middle name. It, uh, yeah. yeah. It depends. I think, yeah,
1: maybe this is about this line that this is, this is like, uh, you love all these things for the sincere quality right. of them and also the absurdity of them. So right. maybe this is responding to the, like, I don't want to give my kid a name that has one uh, foot in the world of satire.
2: Yeah. And also, it's, it's almost, it kind of like goes back to, you know... I don't, you don't want to make them wear that Ramones onesie yeah. through, through high school. So. I, or their entire life. Yeah. yeah if yeah,
1: you're yeah, giving yeah. them that name, it's like, I'm going to make you wear a Ramones onesie yeah, the rest of your exactly. life. exactly. Okay. And you're not, it
2: will look weird. It's going to look like a weird ascot eventually, but you will wear it.
1: All right. Here's the final How Obsessed Are You question. Oh, God. If you had the only remaining copy of Flash Gordon, yes. but a bear stole it from you, would you try to get it back from the bear?
2: Oh, shit. Okay. So this this means I will never get to see Flesh Gordon again.
1: The, no one in the world will ever get to see it again.
2: Oh, that's a, that's. So now we're talking like responsibility to to the human race. Yeah. Um, I would pursue the bear cautiously, <laughs> and I would eval, I would have like an ongoing reevaluation of what's the situation with this bear. Okay. Because like if he fell asleep and I could you know kind of you know do with the Indiana Jones thing, except it works where you know you do the you switch out the sandbag for oh, the yeah. idol. Oh yeah. If I could do one of those, like I, like what movie would I switch out with that? Um, Some movie, um, Judgment in Berlin. Haven't seen it since I was, I had, I had to sit through Judgment in Berlin because I had like this, uh, uh, I had a a paladin like moral code. I I actually, as a kid where uh, it was my friend's birthday and we went to like, his mom took us all to the second run movie theater for his birthday. Okay. And the two movies playing were Good Morning uh, Vietnam, rated R, and Judgment in Berlin starring Sean Penn rated PG 13. And I was not allowed to see R rated movies at the Ah. time. And I was like, and I could have gone in, but I would have known that I did the wrong thing. So I went with his mom into, it was just me and his mom and his little brother who wasn't old enough to go in a movie by himself yet. And I sat through judgment in Berlin, which was some weird cold war movie with Sean Penn. I got, I would switch it out with that. Or I had one time I was grounded and I couldn't stay home alone. So I had to go with my dad again to this different second run movie house. Uh, I had to sit through at fourteen years old. I had to sit through Howard's End. Oh wow! And which may be a fantastic film. I know, Merchant Ivory tickles some people's ivories, so to speak. Fourteen, I was not. <laughs>
1: Your ivories were not tickled.
2: <laughs> like I, that was some. Whew, okay, bordering on hallucinogenic. How bored I was yeah. in that movie. I
1: would love to see where people take this uh, this question. So, sure. you, I think you were one of the first per- people who answered it, uh, which makes perfect sense the way a gamer would. <laughs> of I'm going to cautiously observe the bear yeah, and yeah. then I'm going to, you know, wait until the right moment to strike when uh, all of uh, my stats, I'll use my stealth ability. And then that you would give, switch out the Flash Gordon copy with any movie that you have ever not liked. Sure. Bear wakes up with a pile I'm of fine. movies you hate.
2: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he'll be happy. He's got more. I mean, maybe yeah, he just absolutely. wanted the thing. Like, so yeah, not necessarily that movie.
1: Bear just gets bored. Sure. I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What noise comes to mind for this obsession
2: uh that would be i think um and uh, the sound of an arpeggio being tapped on the neck of a guitar <laughs> which if uh even if you don't and i think i'm describing it right and uh it, it's um you would know at the second you heard it yeah so do, do i have to make the noise or just describe well, it why not go for it yeah i'm gonna go for it all right so that would be the sound of a Yeah, I'm a little off key <laughs> but if you like, you know, Eddie Van Halen was a pioneer in that department. Uh, uh, Am I Evil by Diamond Head covered by Metallica? that It has that like at the end of the intro. Okay. Uh, it, that would definitely be the sound of, of epic. What is it? Epic Science Fantasy.
1: Yeah. That is awesome. That's a great sound. I ask everyone uh, to rate their obsession. Uh, for you, I'll go a scale to uh, from one to six, six, six. Six, six, six. Uh, six, Clearly. six, six being the highest, one being the lowest. Where do you rate your own obsession?
2: 666. Okay. Definitely.
1: You feel like you're all the way obsessed. With-
2: it is way too far into my life yeah. for for a 42-year-old man to be like as into heavy metal and dragons and and uh, things that don't exist and and organized games of make believe. Yeah. Which and it, I find it it makes me very happy, but yeah. uh yeah.
1: Yeah, but this is that's really interesting to me uh, because there's lots of things on my uh, kind of silly how obsessed are you questions where you're like, no, I, I don't want to decorate my home. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't need a tattoo. So you just feel like it's imprinted in you. It's in your DNA enough that if you never listened to another album, if you never played another game of D&D, if you never watched Flash Gordon again, this would still be in your soul.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it probably even, you know, you oppressed something, it only gets stronger. So, Yeah. Uh, more so then. Yeah. Because um, really quickly, I know I know we're wrapping up, but just like in light of the whole Satanic panic thing, and, you know, after I became a parent, I kind of, I had a lot more empathy for my mom on this. Uh, I think three days after I got that D&D basic box set, my mom saw an episode of the Donahue show, which went through the whole, you know, the if D&D's bad, your kid's going to end up in a cult. Yeah. And so... She was scared, you know. I don't blame her. I get it. So, you know, D and D was removed, and then I was able to a couple of years later, I got it again, and everything was cool. But so there was a period where I w- where it was a forbidden fruit. Oh wow! And I just remember, like, you know, as new books and modules came out, like, I specifically remember one, the Temple of Elemental Evil. That title alone, right? <laughs>
0: it's epic. And yeah. then,
2: like, the cover of it was like the temple with like lightning flashing and shit, and I was just like, I died what's in there <laughs> i need
1: this yeah yeah
2: um so yeah like that was a huge and i think part of i'm grateful actually for it being revoked for a little bit because i think that's a huge part of why i love it so much i think you know yeah forbidden fruits are sweetest and all that kind of thing yeah
1: yeah so it's a forbidden fruit that you now can always yes. have but it will always have that sort of that pain thank you thank of removal you. Yes. <laughs> uh we do some plugs so where can people find you on social media do you want to be found on social media
2: I guess, uh, yeah, sure. I, I have a woefully undertweeted Twitter page. Okay, um, I'm at Winged Skull on Twitter, um, trying to tweet more. Uh, I I realize now that Facebook is the centrum of social media, and that it's for old people. Yeah, like me, <laughs> or you know, relatively old because if anything older than five minutes is yeah. old. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, coming when when is this going to go up? Uh, Do we know?
1: In about a week and a half from as we're recording. Okay,
2: awesome. So. On October 20th and 27th at The Vast Lab, so just go to thevastlab.com, I will be doing uh, live D&D games. Okay, uh, cool. With an overarching theme of the Satanic Panic woven into that. So it'll be an evening of, uh, and, you know, we'll keep it brief and, you know, it'll, it'll be fun. We'll, it'll be done with the audience in mind. But, so we'll do like classic D&D, first edition nerds. Uh, okay. It'll be classic D&D with uh, all kinds of great occult uh, and uh, alarmist Christian imagery worked in so like uh, are you familiar with chick Tracts? yes okay so dark dungeons yeah lots of stills from dark dungeons nice lots of great artwork from the books and 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 stills and and video clips from you know news reports and exposes uh, great music DJ uh, so that's October 20th and 27th eight o'clock at the vast lab in the valley go to the vastlab.com. For the address,
1: awesome, awesome, and just in case Paul starts tweeting at Winged Skull, at Winged you Skull, you can go follow yeah. uh, to make sure that you get updated about those awesome shows. Yes.
2: Oh, and I'm on the Instagram at Burbank by Night, but again, <laughs> woefully, woefully <laughs> under, under. So update.
1: many different ways you can spell night. Which version of night is it?
2: How oh am I gonna? It, it's uh, yeah, it's true. It's Burbank. Uh, just. Burbank by night, one word, and night as in the time of day. Okay, so.
1: night is in the time of day. Nice. Uh, here are some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do sure. our final dumb fun questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast you can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com and you can support obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that go to patreon.com/josephscrimshaw. All right. Final questions. You ready? All right. If you were commemorated on a postal stamp. Oh boy. What would you want to be doing on the stamp?
2: I would want to be riding a dragon in outer space. <laughs> I think that's a, I think it's reasonable.
1: <laughs> I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of what you did in life uh, to end up on a postal stamp, yeah, this is the way to be celebrated.
2: As long as my life can somehow be translated into the metaphor of me riding a dragon in outer space, I will feel like I have not wasted my time.
1: Here. Yeah, I want right. to buy those stamps. Thank you. Uh, yeah,
2: let's uh, call somebody. <laughs> let's call, call your go. senator.
1: Yeah, all right. Call your postal representative. Uh, if there was a theme park ride based on your life, what would it be like?
2: The Dungeons and Dragons ride. Do you remember that from the cartoon? That no. was the whole that was, that was the whole premise of the D and D cartoon. Was there was a D and D ride, which turned into like some kind of portal to the world of D and D. Okay. Uh, um. So a, a a theme park ride based on my life. Yeah. Um. Definitely not one of those ones where you're like sitting in the thing and they shake you around and like, oh, I'm moving, but I'm not. You know. Okay.
1: You want forward movement? On no, your I want theme park an actual
2: ride? moving car. I think it would be. Uh, yeah, we'd bring in all the the imagery and everything and the metal we've been talking about, and uh, yeah, like I'd want you to like go into a lot of people's mouths. So like, <laughs> like at one point maybe you'd go in Ozzy's mouth. You know, like it opens wide, ah, and like okay. the, the car goes through. Obviously, you're gonna go through a dragon's mouth at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, okay. Uh, there you
1: go. It would be a tour of mouths that have influenced you. Yes, monstrous mouths. <laughs> monstrous mouths. The Paul Feldman ride. Yes, <laughs> that's my, that's my After Dark series. <laughs> Excellent. And the final question for everyone on the podcast is: What is happiness? Oh
2: shit! Uh, just uh, damn. Let me drop an existential crisis. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh,
1: I can ask more leading questions if you'd like. No,
2: that's good. I, I, I'm. I, I'm Processing. Imagine like a little beach ball thing spinning. Around, <laughs> right I would say happiness is um, happiness is being to is being able to connect and engage with whatever it is that makes you feel alive. That you know makes you feel like you're connected to something bigger than you, and that you know that that you're you're providing something for other people somehow that's creating joy for them without any. Self consciousness whatsoever about how you're perceived doing it, or, yeah. or or how you perceive yourself doing it, where you're just in a, just being in a flow state. I okay, think. so does that answer your question, or is that <laughs> no? That's great. Okay. That's great.
1: I always want to hear uh, whatever people people uh, can people have answered with puns. People have answered with actual like specific dogmas they have tattooed on their bodies. Sure. Yeah, I'm open to all the answers. I, I love hearing s- the way different people process the idea of what happiness is, and I. Sometimes it relates directly to the obsession. Sometimes it doesn't. And what I love about what you just said is it feels like it relates so directly to your obsession that it's not that you just are obsessed with any one thing. It's this whole mood, this whole oeuvre, which, you know, there are certain kinds of art where you feel held by something. Yeah. You're just in the middle of this beautiful aesthetic fog and you are a part of it and you don't know where it ends. Mm -hmm. You end and it begins. Yeah, yeah. uh, And wanting to experience that feeling and share that feeling. Is an awesome answer.
2: I believe that's the ego death Eastern mystics talk about. You know, and if I could just add an addendum, it, happiness either is either what I just said or it's um, getting a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and like eventually that fills the, the material stuff, fills the abstract cavity inside my chest. Yes. Where my heart's supposed to go.
1: Happiness is jamming that existential gap. Yeah. Full.
2: And then when that feeling wears off, you just buy more stuff. (laughs) And I think that's you just do that till you die. Yeah. Then my
1: table full of Star Wars action figures right behind you. It's it's filling the existential gap. I have a great job.
2: I have a Ziploc full of folded cardstock minis. Uh, (laughs) I'll raise you.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you
2: for having me on. This was so much fun.
1: Absolutely. That is our podcast.
0: You've been listening to obsessed Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest rate five stars if you're impressed
2: okay one more thing I love is the character of Rastlin from the Dragonlance uh novels uh, which I was reading at the same time that I really just dis- like that I discovered Master of Puppets and, uh, like, and there's a great instrumental on Master of Puppets called Orion that I would just, you know, I had the art of the Dragonlance Saga and I'd put on Orion. This is, I wasn't doing drugs or anything at this point either. I would just sit down and put that on and like, look at the music and, or look at the art and just imagine the music as a soundtrack for it. But what I love is Raistlin from the Dragonlance Saga is this wonderfully complex, like morally ambiguous character who, uh, uh Reader's Digest version is. The price he paid for being a powerful wizard is that his body was just like totally cursed and destroyed. And part of that curse is that his eyes, uh, his pupils are hourglass shaped and he perceives everything in a constant state of decay. So he looks at a flower, he sees it wilting. He looks at his best friend, he sees him growing old and dying in front of him. And um, I always just thought that was a very compelling narrative device.